Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, when I outline this podcast, not this one specifically, just the Tipping Pitches podcast in my notepad, I always leave the cold open blank until the day before or until the morning of more frequently. And the reason I do that is because I want it to be, I want it to be timely. I want it to be the best option. I want to workshop through multiple things in my head throughout the week so that we can land on the best option. It has nothing to do with procrastination. And every once in a while, wake up on the day that we're going to do the pod, and I, I thank my lucky stars because something gets sent down from on high. Or, in this case, something gets sent down from the New York Post. Basically on high. A version of high, I guess. Mm-hmm. We're opening the pod with a bad take dramatic reading from John Heyman. Yeah. Let's go. Before I do the reading... um. Would you like to guess how many Twitter followers John Heyman has? Just a guess. Ballpark it. 800,000. I am shocked. <laughs> 796,200. Wow. Sorry, Price is Right rules. You went over, you lose. Um, great guess. Amazing work by you. Too many, a, too many followers. I'm going to start doing this opinion. with all different baseball, different members of baseball media for every pod and see how close you can get for all of them. See how sick your brain truly is. <laughs> yeah, I know. It actually kind of reflects poorly on me that I'm familiar with a rough estimate of how many followers John Heyman has. Does that make you feel better or worse that we have like 180th the amount of followers as him? Witnessing the ways in which he makes a fool of himself on a day-to-day basis on there, I... I consider myself lucky that we don't have nearly as large of a platform as he does. I'll to, just say that. To make a fool of ourselves like he does, you mean? Yeah. You think if we had 800,000 followers, we would be getting dunked on as often as John Heyman does? I kind of feel like when you get that big, you're going to get dunked on no matter what you do. I have been noticing this a little bit with the Tipping Pitches podcast recently. Mm-hmm. The Tipping Pitches Twitter account. Maybe we can talk about this briefly right here before we do this bad take dramatic reading. Yeah. We now have 12,000 followers on Twitter. Mm-hmm. That's nothing. Some so many people, even in in baseball media, even amongst baseball podcasts, so many people have way more followers than us. But I have noticed this thing going on where like people don't understand the bit anymore. You know, we've expanded the scope of the the followers on Twitter to be just like regular guys with like John three seven nine eight five one four three two nine seven. Yeah, replying being like, "Do you actually think this?" <laughs> I know. I and mean, I, I, I've been doing my part. I mute those guys usually yeah, so that we don't have to see that. So we can keep the circle tight. Yeah. I mean, we already have trouble reading each other's tone, like in person, let, let alone thing. like other yeah. people. This right? is the thing. When you say something, I don't know if you're being serious or right. not. This, this happened last night. I think I said something in earnest and you were like, wait, are you serious? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a curse, really. But this is what I mean, right? Like that effect would only be magnified if we had 80 times the followers that we do right now. Do you think that we should start a Twitter circle and put it in one of the tiers of our Patreon? I feel like 
the last thing we need is another place where we have to post content. <laughs> this, this is, is true. We're already stretching ourselves thin as it is. All right, it's time for the bad take dramatic reading. And you have not read this, right? You have no. not seen any of this? No excerpts? I don't believe so. You're no. impressively offline these days. Yeah. John Heyman, The New York Post, October 16th, 2022, 11.50 p.m. The Yankees return home after surviving a scare here and will have a packed house at Yankee Stadium behind them for the deciding Game 5 against the Gritty Guardians on Monday night. Presumably, some of the fine folks at Major League Baseball will be quietly rooting, too. Wait, real quick, what's the headline of this piece? Oh, sorry. MLB could certainly use marquee team in Yankees advancing to ALCS. I felt mm, like that okay. was sort of a spoiler. All right, well, that's fair. Okay, <laughs> I see why you, didn't, why you didn't divulge it. With the Dodgers and Braves out of the playoff picture, RIP Dodgers, RIP Braves. Yeah. With the Braves from the playoffs? The Yankees' chance to run the table improved without them even lifting a bat. For the same reason, that's not a phrase, by the way. For the same reason, the surprise extinction of powerhouses LA and defending champion Atlanta, some MLB people presumably wouldn't mind seeing the Yankees keep going for at least another round, and better still, two more. If they can beat Cleveland on Monday night, the Yankees have a date with hated Houston. Of the teams that despise the Astros, the Yankees are probably first on that list making for a great storyline. An Astros Guardian series wouldn't bring nearly the same buzz. Here's where it gets really good, Alex. So just mm-hmm. brace yourself. Okay. You're seated. Everything okay? The Yankee Stadium crowd will be ready to give a boost to their $260 million team, which has its handful with the $60 million Guardians, who deserve a pat on the back for going this far. It's a really nice Midwestern story with their fun and outstanding manager. Terrific pitching and the anonymous band that doesn't ever quit. Wow. <laughs> E-third. It's a really nice Midwestern story. He said, that's really cute that you've come this far. Bro, he's doing coastal elitism in 2022. Like, come yeah. on. This is played out, dog. We know. Hillary didn't go to Michigan. <laughs> we know. She didn't go to Wisconsin. We know. Like, what are you talking about? I get why he's doing this right he's a he's a columnist for the new york post he has a very specific vantage point he has a vested interest in the yankees making it further because that's much more interesting narratively speaking but he also works for mlb network i know but what what does that mean we've just been watching mlb network for an hour and a half and (laughs) still are not really sure what we've been watching that's the headspace that we're in doing this pod this isn't always said aloud but as far as the country is concerned it's enough already The Guardians, while deserving of our admiration for getting this far after trading off a trio of stars, I don't know why that makes them worthy of our admiration, not here, including Mr. Smiles himself, Francisco Lindor, can remain mostly anonymous for another year. (laughs) (laughs) Dog, this this article is sick, actually. Someone had to say it. He's doing all thinking it. He's literally like, I'm I'm a truth teller, you Mm -hmm. know, like this is what everybody deep down wants to say. But cancel culture prevents us from saying that the Guardians are anonymous. Right. Cancel culture prevents us from saying that Rob Manfred's pockets will be better off if the Yankees make the World Series. Yeah. I mean, the radical left doesn't want to see the Yankees win. So, you know, this, that does track, though, because yeah. the radical left wants the Guardians to move on. Exactly. The scrappy uh, upstarts who, you know, don't spend like the Yankees. Not even that. Not even that. But they went woke. So the radical left probably <laughs> wants them to advance. Yeah. The Guardians are the satanic left's team. <laughs> we should all get behind them. 
I just, this one's too easy. I, there's been actually a really, and we're going to get into this later on in the show, talking mm-hmm. about kind of the format of these playoffs, but there's been an exceptionally vast amount of think pieces that I've seen about the the sort of disparity between talent in the playoffs and who is deserving, who's deserving to be here, who's not deserving to be here, right? There was a it was a similarly framed article in the LA Times that suggested the Dodger, you know, I, I think the pull quote that was tweeted out was like cancel the the twenty twenty two postseason and give the I share that opinion. Which honestly, here's the thing. I read the article and I feel so bad for the writer because that was like a line really? like two thirds of the way down. And it was mostly about you know, uh, just like growing up watching the Dodgers and it being tough. And, you know, they have the 2020 World Series, but they they always show Mickey up in Mouse. October. It was Mickey Mouse, obviously. And so right. it's him like talking through his like feelings and everyone's like, fucking loser. <laughs> Participation trophy ass motherfucker. <laughs> uh, let me just round out Heyman's um, a wonderful kicker that he has to the article here. He's talking about Aaron Judge and his wonderful season breaking the American League home run record. A lovely second place trophy. Actually, more like a seventh place trophy. But Judge provided some great and historic memories for the season. At least 62 of them. You remember every single one of Aaron Judge's home runs. Because I do too. They were all historic and they were all great. But for baseball's sake and theirs, Judge and co. had better keep it going. What I will just say in response to that is I do think it's a really sweet story what Aaron Judge has done. Mm-hmm. It's really nice. Mm-hmm. All the the cute little home runs that he's been hitting. Right. I think it's great. I think the city needs this. Right. Um, you know, Aaron Boone, he's he's really worked hard mm-hmm. to get to where he needs to be. Mm-hmm. It is a really sweet story. The the Yankees being here in October. <laughs> Against all odds. I just it's the kind of thing that every, literally everybody can get behind, you know? Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, you know, the Yankees have just been down on their luck for too long. Yeah. You know, nobody is going to be excited about the Guardians breaking, you know, a 50-year drought of winning the World Series. 50 plus. Yeah. You know, they're up to like 54 now, I think, if I remember correctly. No one is going to care about that. Well, that's the that's the wonderful thing about the postseason, right, is we rely on its predictability. Right. right? And Famously, then- baseball's playoffs are usually decided by the time the year starts. And the narrative always plays out exactly like you expect it to. Yeah. I just thought I'd share that opinion from John Heyman. John Heyman, who later on in the same day, <laughs> went on Twitter and tweeted about how we have too many golf courses in this country. So I really I know. don't know what to I don't, believe. I don't know him. what to believe anymore, Like man. It's like he he's just playing hard to get with us, specifically. You know? He's making fun of the Midwest. <laughs> and also anti-golf course? I really don't. <laughs> well, this is what he does, right? He pulls us in with the bad right. take reading, and then he just he just sprinkles a little a, a little woke take out there, mm. right? Do you think when he tweeted that, he was like, the wokes are going to love this? Or do you think that it was just the first thing that came to his mind? I, I, I do not believe John Heyman is nearly familiar enough with, like, leftist discourse to know that, like, he doesn't follow ownership like over the, like public over golf courses is like, like the a thing. TikTok anti golf course girl, anti grass girl. Right. <laughs> you know her? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but he's moving there, right? He's moving in the right direction. Right. It doesn't matter how you get there. It's exactly. where you go. We're all on our own journeys, man. <laughs> Thank you, brother John. Um, 
Okay, well, we are going to recap the Division series, at least those of which that are done, because our original plan was to record this here podcast while Game 5 between those Yankees and those Guardians was going on. However, that is still in a rain delay, and it is 9.49 p.m. Eastern on Monday night, October 17th, and we didn't really want to wait any longer to start the podcast, so we're just letting it rip because I don't think this baseball game is going to happen. But if it does if it does start, we sure will, I guess, do play-by-play of it on the <laughs> podcast. Um, we're going to recap the division series that are done. We're going to talk about the championship series that we know are coming. Talk a little bit about the playoff format discourse, which is completely unhinged. And maybe we'll do a little bit of Taylor Swift new album chat at the end of the podcast. But before we do, I am Bobby Wagner. I am Alex Baisley. And you are listening to Tipping Pitches. Alex, we're recording this in, in your apartment this week. We're not in the stew. We're not in the Tipping Pitches studio. No. But we brought the vibes here. We're sitting in your living room. Yeah. It's an interesting, different vibe. We were planning on watching the baseball game here. Moved half the studio here, you know. <laughs> so if it's a little bit boomier than usual, y'all are just going to have to live with it. That's 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 potting in October. Yeah. That's what it, that's what it means to be. Yeah, exactly. You know? Sorry I have a Brooklyn loft you gotta, with high ceilings. You've got to win. Know? Wow, okay. A little loft action. Okay. Okay. I see you. All right. I guess you're just, I'm the broke boy with the low ceilings, <laughs> I suppose. I, I, is this, I don't think this is a loft. I don't think this. I don't know what any. Of that I don't means. actually know really know what a loft is. You live in a penthouse on Fifth Avenue, uh huh, in the Trump Tower, right? And it's a million dollars a month in rent. Yeah, but the Tipping Pitches Patreon <laughs> covers most of that. Most of it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, no, we're potting on. I'm I'm potting on the road, you know, and I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining like the Dodgers, no, or or Atlanta, or the Mets. No, I'm not complaining about any of that. No, you you adapt. But before we get into the rest of this podcast, I would like to say thank you to the Tipping Pitches patrons who are funding Alex's $1 million apartment. Those new patrons this week are Preston, Eve, Jasmine, David, McKenna, Elliot, Brian, Christopher, Lee, and Katie. Big week for your boys. Uh, where do you want to start? Which series? Which series are you going to remember the most, Alex? Let's talk about the one that I think was the the most surprising to everyone, which was Padres Dodgers, Mm -hmm. right? That was, if you could count on nothing else this October, you could pencil in the Dodgers to at least probably the championship series. And people were drawing them into their brackets back in March and April, right? Like this is the team that is built to be here, meant to be here. One of the mm-hmm. greatest regular season teams we've ever seen. Just not built to do it in October. Just not though. built to do it in October. Not built yeah. to do. So what happened? What happened to the Dodgers in your estimation? There's been quite a bit of discourse about whether the Dodgers were constructed well enough for the playoffs, whether they had enough frontline starters who actually pitched well in this series, although Gonsolin didn't give them very much length in his start coming off the IL. They are obviously missing Walker Bueller. They were missing Walker Bueller in this series. He had Tommy John earlier in the year. And um, I'd say the last piece of the discourse was about their manager, Dave Roberts, who has already been renewed for next year to the chagrin of some Dodgers fans, but not all. Um, You could do worse, but you could definitely do better than Dave Roberts. You could definitely do better than him and Aaron Boone. Um, I think the Padres probably did better right across the diamond with Bob Melvin. He's been great this October. 
But in your estimation, what happened to the what happened to the Dodgers? Is this where I clock in the sports talk radio mode and talk yeah. about like how they beat themselves? They you didn't. know, sometimes when you go out there, they didn't want it enough. The other team beats you, or you beat yourself, right? And the Dodgers, I think, beat themselves. They were in their own there. heads. Yeah, they were trying to do too much out there. Right. You were just when you're pressing at the plate, when you're pressing on the mound in the field, you make mistakes. <laughs> um, I mean, <laughs> unironically, <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs> I mean, what? happened the Padres had played more baseball in the last couple weeks than the Dodgers had and they were playing good baseball and they were rolling along and it feels reductive to say like the Dodgers didn't show up but like at the end of the day the Padres shoved right like they went out there guys like Musgrove guys like Darvish went out there and shade to Snell no love for Snell. No love for Snell. He no. got it done in the ugliest of ways, but he got it done. <laughs> it was brutal. Right. And and that's that's the thing, right? Is like they've had production even from when the middle of their lineup is is hurting, that seven, eight, nine spots are gonna are gonna come through, right? And I think they're just such a well-balanced team. This is just some way, this is just sometimes the way the cookie crumbles, right? Yeah. To me, I mean, we're gonna talk more later about like the whole playoff format discourse and whether or not the top seeds have been getting enough of an advantage or whether or not five games makes sense necessarily. But to me, like what's been what what happened between the Padres and the Dodgers, what happened between the Phillies and the Braves is that, you know, the teams that are in sort of the top third of baseball are all really good. And even if their records are not necessarily reflecting that, I think that we're maybe underrating how bad the bottom third of the league is right now. And how that sort of trickle down, trickle up effect, I guess, trickle down, trickle mm-hmm. up effect of all of those teams selling at the deadline, selling in the offseason has led to a somewhat balanced top end of baseball. We're seeing more parity this year. And, you know, to some extent last year with the Braves getting hot and making it all the way and winning a World Series, as painful as, as it is for me to remember that time. You know, we're seeing more parity among these top teams because it's not like there's like one or two good teams right now. Like everybody who made it this year is is pretty good. And even if their record didn't always reflect that, like, you know, the Guardians, I think, match up incredibly well with the 99 win Yankees. And we were talking shit about them before the season, before the playoffs started, about how are they they were the worst team to make it in, that they just won a bad division and they barely even deserve to be here. But then you watch watch them actually go out there and maybe their lineup is not as deep as as a team like the Dodgers, but their bullpen is way deeper than all of the rest of these teams of baseball. And I, I honestly think it's two things. In, in the Guardians case, I think it's a, it's a testament to player development increasing and giving these teams that maybe don't have or don't employ as many resources, whether they have them or not, is an entirely different conversation. But there are more avenues to be good than there used to be it's not just sign all the best players it's not just be really good at player development and even though the Dodgers do both of those things really well they're playing against a team they lost to a team in a five-game series that traded for Juan Soto traded for Josh Hader traded for you Darvish traded for Blake Snell traded for Joe Musgrove I'm just going to keep saying traded Machado like (laughs) signed Manny Machado you know Extended Tatis, even though he's not with them, which is kind of a fun parallel to Acuna last year with the Braves that I've seen pointed out a few times. But it's not like they're just playing against a a team full of a bunch of mediocre players. 
Like this, this Padres team is good. Right. Well, and we thought they were going to be good, right? And yes. they like underperformed our expectations throughout the year. And now we're back to being kind of shocked. Right. right. Exactly. But I think that it is simultaneously easier to make the playoffs and harder to guarantee yourself a spot deep in October than it ever has been. Yeah. And I think that that kind of catch 22, that conundrum is frustrating a lot of people, is frustrating a lot of fans and fan bases. And it's kind of driving everybody a little bit crazy right now because no one knows how to talk about that. You know, ourselves included. I have no re- no idea why the Dodgers lost. Right. Like from a, if I'm, if, if we had Andrew Friedman right here and we asked him, I don't know that his explanation would make any sense to us. I don't know that he even would have an explanation. Right. He would probably just say small sample sucks. We'll, we'll try to get him next year. Right. Which is like, what? I mean, why did they lose? Because they went out and they didn't play very good baseball for, why, why did they for lose? three games. Because they four didn't games. win. <laughs> <laughs> um, Phillies Braves. To me, this is just an example of morality winning out. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> yeah, I hate but that this... it happened to my man, Spencer Strider, future third co-host of this podcast. Brother Spencer, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's tough. But now it makes it easier for you to come on to the Tipping Pitches podcast mm-hmm. earlier in the offseason because you won't be on a championship parade tour celebration. Ouch. You won't be getting fitted for your, for your World <laughs> Series ring. ring. <laughs> so you did just sign a nice extension. Congratulations on the extension. Open invite. Mm-hmm. Send you the Zoom. Or you can, you know, if you're spending your offseason in, you in like <laughs> liberal New York, we can send you the address on Fifth <laughs> Avenue for Alex's $1 million a month apartment. Yeah. In the Trump Tower, um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know what happened this in this series. Ba- baseball gods having fun. The with Phillies this one, are man. dumb hot right now. Yeah, you can't. I mean, everybody is just everything is clicking for them. Yeah, they are super hot right now, and they're getting production from guys like Brandon Marsh, which, like, if things are clicking for him in the postseason, yeah, the Phillies opponents are going to be. In a lot of trouble, right? And it's not necessarily like the guys like Schwarber and uh, and Harper and Castellanos have necessarily been raking equally this offseason, right? There's probably still another level in them to unlock at mm-hmm. the plate. Like yeah. they like this is a Phillies team that weirdly can probably be a little bit better yeah. than they are right now, which is a little which is crazy to think about. And it's crazy to think about the Philadelphia Phillies in the 2022. National League Championship Series. I'm quite interested to see them play a seven-game series because they really legitimately only have three starters. Yeah. Like, they're only employing three starters right now. Right. They've moved to the other two starters that were in the rotation. One of them is closing, <laughs> and one of them is Noah Syndergaard, <laughs> you know? So, like, I genuinely don't know what their plan is. I don't know if their plan will be just, like, Noah Syndergaard once through the order, kind of like it was in Game 4 against the Braves. But that doesn't work quite as well when you still might have three more games in the series to play after that. Um, it's not, it's not, it's not like a hundred meter sprint. It's more like a, you know, like a four hundred meter sprint or the mile or whatever. And so, I'm curious to see how that works out for them against a Padres team that I think is not lacking in starting pitching. I find it, <laughs> I find it funny <laughs> how how often we are reminded how fickle baseball is. And how certain it felt all season that both Atlanta and the Mets were significantly better than the Phillies. I watched all those games against the Phillies. I watched the Mets pants the Phillies multiple times this year, take their lunch. 
I watched the Phillies look like a double A team against the Braves in September, like three weeks ago. And it's just it's just a completely different game that they're playing right now. I mean, they looked the part. And I don't even think like I don't think Atlanta looked bad necessarily in this series. No one came no one necessarily came in and and put up an absolute stinker. I mean, Acuna had a bad series. Strider coming off the injury really did not look like himself after the first couple innings. But it's not like the Phillies lucked out either. Like they they just they're not as bad as like an 87 win team should be. Does that does that make sense? Like I feel like these teams aren't as bad as I remember previous 87 team 87 win teams looking in the playoffs. Like you think back to some of these Milwaukee teams that won in like high 80s, low 90s that maybe won the NL Central or gotten in the wild card and you looked at those lineups, man, like it just never felt like they were going to get a hit. They just seemed doomed. They seemed completely overmatched. And I don't think anybody really looked totally overmatched in October so far. You know, not even the Mariners, who actually did get swept by by the Astros, but all of those games were extremely close, including the game that went 18 innings without scoring a single run, which was one of the more insane baseball experiences to watch unfold. No, I think you're right. I think it speaks to your point earlier about parity at the top of the league. Right, um, you have a select group of teams, probably ten or maybe a dozen, if you're being really generous, who are actually trying to go out there and compete. And there are certainly powerhouse teams at the top that are going to gun for a hundred win seasons, but ultimately you're going to have some of these teams crammed into the same division, right? So it's like, this is a team that maybe without the Braves and the Mets in their division, right? Maybe the Padres without the Dodgers in their division are able to crack a hundred wins, right? And, and like, these are all like pointless hypotheticals that don't really tell you anything, but I think it speaks to like, at the end of the day, someone has to win the games, right? Right. Usually how those work. Um, and when it comes to October, that field is just much more leveled. Yes. The slate is wiped clean. You're facing off against the teams who, in theory, built themselves to be here to face off against you, right? So yes. that so that mis- mismatch that I think like we are perceiving is maybe not as big as we would let uh, we're being led to believe. That's what that's what I'm trying to get at is that I think that the difference, the 14 wins between the Mets. And the Phillies, in terms of like absolute value to me, seem much less in size than the 14 wins between the Phillies and maybe whatever the Marlins finished at, if they were 14 or 15 or 16, whatever wins. That gap on the bottom end to me is much wider. And I think that it's compressing the top end in a, in a pretty interesting way. I mean, your mileage may vary on whether that's good for baseball. Obviously, John Heyman doesn't think that it's good for baseball. But I think when you look at it in the context of the things that we've been complaining about for the last five years of doing this podcast, I think it's good that there are more teams that are potentially in the mix. You know, like it's less of a foregone conclusion. These teams that have been sputtering like the Phillies, like the Padres, these teams have legitimate chances. They have legitimate teams. And to me, I think there's a knockdown effect. Like to me, I think that 
convincing yourself that you could be the next Padres is a lot easier than convincing yourself that you could be the next Dodgers. Same goes for the Phillies. Like they did the obvious thing. They signed Bryce Harper. Right. They I signed mean, Nick Castellanos. They signed Kyle Schwarber. This, like they didn't develop 58 great players and turn them into 30 great players like the Dodgers. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's much more achievable in right. a way. It is kind of interesting that a vast majority of the teams left standing are ones who actively made that push, right? The ones who went out and signed Manny Machado and traded for Juan Soto, right? Yeah. Who went out and got Zach Wheeler and got Bryce Harper, right? And obviously there are teams that have been bounced who did those very same things. But like the Padres have been doing all the right moves for a few years now, right? It was really only a matter of time until like it, the, the talent actually caught up with them, right? Right. right. In theory, I mean, it, it, they could have easily gotten eliminated by the Dodgers and all of the same stuff would have been true. They yeah. still should have made those trades. They still should have went for it because why not? Look at the way that they've engaged their fan base. Look at the way that that crowd met the moment in this in this series against the Dodgers. Um and I you know I think the Dodgers you know far be it for me to like do the sports radio thing and try to like put myself in the mindset of the Dodgers, but I do think there was a little bit of like this team went 5 and 14 against us this year. There's no way they're actually going to close us out. And there's nothing even specifically that made me feel that way and I don't I'm not even trying to fault the Dodgers for thinking that way, but how could you not in the back of your head Think about the fact that you've owned this team for the last three years. Yeah. And it's true both qualitatively that this Padres team feels different, but it's also true just quantitatively. Like they're so the, the roster has turned over so much that we're just looking at a completely different team and it's very hard to judge. It's very hard to judge how good they've been for the whole year when they only got Juan Soto 50 games ago. You know? And he he hasn't even been that good yet. So I don't know. It's interesting. It's been it's been compelling. I I mean I made it known that I wanted the Dodgers to win, and I obviously wanted the Mets to beat the Padres. But I'm not like offended by the fact that they've they've moved on. Like it seems like some people are. Um, the the Houston Mariners series feels much discussed. Do you have anything to add to that other than it seems like we have a, a decent division race shaping up over the next few years? Like these teams both feel pretty set up for the the next few years to come. Yeah, I mean, certainly the Mariners will be back. Obviously, the Astros will, too. This, it was a very unceremonious uh, exit for the Mariners after kind of stunning the baseball world with their series win over the Blue Jays. And it really felt like they kind of captivated everyone's attention. They were kind of, as we said, like the default underdog team to pull for. They have these young stars combined with a handful of veterans. And they play a fun brand of baseball man uh julio rodriguez is like elect like i cannot take my eyes off of him whenever he steps on a baseball field and i feel really blessed that we got to see him in october and i know we're gonna see him back here again um the astros are just inevitable man I I mean, yeah. and I know we just spent like twenty minutes talking about. No, nah, but how, it's like death taxes how, and the Astros making the championship. I know, series. I know. Like they've just made it every year since twenty seventeen. Like it's ridiculous. I, I'm pretty sure that's true. They've made it to the, at least the championship series every year since twenty seventeen. That is just unbelievable right. sustained success. Yeah, like I mean, it's painful to say, but like this is 
are they not like the platonic ideal of a competitive baseball team in 2022? Um, I still think that I would say that the Dodgers are the gold standard. I think so. Yeah. Uh, even though their World Series is Mickey Mouse, um, and even though they got bounced by the Padres, but you know the Astros are right there with them. I mean, there have been some things where they've done like cost-cutting things, like firing all their scouts and like letting someone like Garrett Cole walk because they didn't want to try to extend him. Like they never even were really in the negotiations for him. But that is just like their organizational philosophy. They're like, we could replace him, you know. And then so and then they do. It's right? a little like, bit more of being right. It's a little bit more of a mixed bag than the Dodgers for sure. Where I think that like you could basically point to every decision that the Dodgers made and say that's competitive. And there are some things along the way with the Astros that you can say. Maybe that's financially driven, but they more than make up for it with their player development, with their advanced analytics, like their advanced scouting, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you said the Mariners play a fun brand of baseball. Do you think that the Guardians play a fun brand of baseball? I, I have a little a little tweet here from the Guardians Twitter account. There are a lot of people on the national stage who are seeing our brand of baseball for the first time. Mm. We make contact. What? We run the bases hard. Is that allowed? We do the little things. And you know what, Alex? We don't care if you don't like it. <laughs> Tipping pitches. We don't care we don't if you, care don't, if like you don't like it. We don't care. We, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's true. honestly yeah. true. But we've been doing that for years. You know, we're not tweeting about it. We're not tuning our own horn at Guardians. That's so corny, man. We don't care if you don't like it. We don't care if you don't like tipping pitches because you know who does like tipping pitches? Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> well, yeah. Really bummed that the Mariners got eliminated so that we can't see him rooting for them in the World Series. I know. Real missed opportunity there. I feel like the A-Rod content has been lagging a bit. Yeah. Um, I agree. So I'm keeping my eyes peeled, but I'm appealing to you, the listener, to please let us know if if anything comes across your feed. So you're crowdsourcing the work that we should be doing. Well, I... Isn't that what a community is for, right? Is okay. sharing knowledge. Right. So you're, you're just saying like, your voices are our voice. <laughs> right, exactly. We, we hear for you. We, <laughs> we all sing the same song of Alex Rodriguez. Um, okay. Before we, before we talk about the, the playoff format discourse that has been just unavoidable for the last few days, I, I, on the plane home from Los Angeles, where I was last week, bringing my, my bad luck, my odious luck to the Los Angeles Dodgers. <laughs> I was thinking, what would make for the perfect playoff game? What is like the recipe, so to speak, for the perfect playoff game? And I wrote down five things here. These, this is an incomplete list, Alex, but I was thinking on, on years past, you know, maybe the 2017 World Series, some of the, the 2015 games between the Mets and the Dodgers were really great back and forth, not just because I love the Mets, but because it was great players performing well in big moments, that sort of thing. There have been a bunch of games over the years that I would that would characterize as wonderful games. And I feel like this year hasn't had as many wonderful individual games as memorable. We're obviously not even at the championship series yet, so there's still plenty of time for that stuff to happen. Um, the one that I would say is probably the, the Padres eliminating the Dodgers, the 5-3 win where they came all the way back. But here are the, here are the five things that I wrote down. I think you have to have a great starting pitching matchup. Mm -hmm. I think it has to start there. And I think that those starters 
really have to at least make it into like the sixth, seventh inning against each other. And it, and it has to feel like either one could really pull it out in the end. Yeah, certainly there's been no shortage of lamenting over the last few years of the, the way of the bullpen game yeah. and how that has become the kind of domineering force in October in recent years. And while it's a little overplayed at this point, it's also true in that we like seeing good starting pitchers go out and put up six strong innings. I think Castillo versus Framber Valdez was, was probably the best starting pitching matchup that actually delivered. Mm-hmm. Where like, you know, Castillo, Alvarez took him deep on a pitch that was like 98 running away from him and Alvarez hit it the other way for a home run, which is just like, you have to tip your cap to that. Yeah. Um, but that was a phenomenal game and it, and it stayed close throughout the whole game, basically. The other thing you need for a perfect playoff game is two deep lineups. You can't. You just can't have at bats being given away easily. You can't have a bunch of rollovers in the seven, eight, nine spots. You know, for for as deep as the Padres lineup has shown itself to be this postseason, I got to say the Guardians lineup is a tough hang at the bottom of it. Yeah, <laughs> you got Austin Hedges batting under a hundred. You got Miles Straw who couldn't hit the ball out of the infield if his life depended on it. Like these, that's that's tough to watch. That's tough to be the perfect playoff game if you have. Basically, 33% of at-bats being just handed handed away to the other team. You're absolutely right. I, I think I want to add the, the caveat that I don't mind having sort of role players in there, right? Because I think no, they, no, no. they often provide for very special playoff moments, right? But you're, that usually tends to happen when they're like major league players, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Or at least major league hitters. You know, right. there's a reason that those players are in the lineup and it's not to, to get hits. Yeah. <laughs> um, the third thing I wrote is a, a feeling of surreality. You know, you have to, at some point in the game, say, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> I, I can't believe this is happening. And that's sort of why I chose Padres Dodgers as maybe the game that gets closest. Padres, Pad- Padres Dodgers game four, mm-hmm. the elimination game, is maybe the game that gets closest to the platonic ideal of a playoff baseball game. Because as soon as the Dodgers went up 3 0, I forget who was announcing that game, but the, the announcer literally said, This is the first three run lead of this series so far. Not, neither team has been leading by more than three runs. And the Padres, the next half inning, came out and scored five straight runs, took the lead, and never gave it back. And from that point on, from the point that the Padres started amassing those hits, I would say the Hassan Kim double was the one that I was really like, holy shit, they're going to do this. And as soon as they took the lead for the last few innings, when the Padres closed it down, you're just like, I can't believe this is going to happen. I can't believe the Dodgers are going to lose in this fashion. Yeah. Sorry to my Dodgers fan friends out there. I know that it, it really hurt. It man. was. A, yeah, that was a that was a knife and a twist. Yeah. It, it seems to me like they're kind of in my head, sort of two competing ideals for this playoff game, right? And like one is that sort of momentum shift, I think, that you talk about, right? Where you're like, I literally cannot believe what we're witnessing right now, right? It has completely turned upside down my expectations for this game, right? And the other one, I feel like, falls closer to the the Astros-Mariners game that went 18 innings, right? Which is just like teetering on the brink the yeah. entire time where you're like i don't know Just where this is gonna build, go or when it's gonna build. end right it has to end at some point but you don't know when yes. and you don't know how and so there's just this kind of pit in your stomach yeah 
Love that shit. Yeah. <laughs> Directly into my veins. Baseball please. fans are inherently self self-loathing. Yeah. That is just the truth of the matter. Well, okay, so here's the other another thing that I wrote down here. Number four is kind of like a punch counterpunch feel. Mm. I like a game that goes back and forth multiple times, multiple lead changes. Just when you thought one team was going to take the lead and hold it, the other team punches back. We haven't gotten that much of of that in this postseason. You know, like the there's been sort of like you know, the Dodgers took the 3-0 lead and then the Padres scored five runs, but it would have been really cool if the Dodgers took the lead back and then the Padres took it back from, you know, like a game like that where there's just increasing hysteria around it um, to me provides that sort of like drunken feeling of watching a baseball game where you're just like, I watched baseball all season and then how often do games really just go back and forth like this? Almost never, you know? It's usually like the team that scores first pretty much wins most of the time. <laughs> yeah. And in the playoffs, I feel like that's much less likely because teams are pulling out all the stops. They're not willing to concede any games because all of the games matter so much more. Yeah, there have been a lot of screen grabs of like win probability charts, right, of, Just, of various games that have happened. In 90% is not 100%. I know. And that's like the biggest thing that I could say to people who are like, whoa, they were just 90% of the time they're going to win this game. Well, that just... 90% of the time is not all the time. No, I know. But like uh, a lot of them have kind of been this. They've been very similar, right? In that they have tracked to one side and then at the very end shot down the other way, right? And and while there's something very tantalizing about that, right? I do really um, share your appreciation for the kind of volatile up and down and up right. and down, right? Because you... I mean, I you know, I think that Astros Mariners game like captures a little bit of that, but like certainly not to the magnitude. It still can go any way, but like nothing has happened, right? Those those games where the lead goes back and forth, you're like, I might see every play in baseball today. Like I just <laughs> might see the the logical conclusion of the game. We might run out of things to do. The JT Real Muto inside the sure. inside the park home run. Okay, you know, yeah. I might see David Freeze triple tonight. <laughs> That's right, you will. I like that seesaw feeling, though. I really do. Um, I think that's when baseball is at its most most entertaining as a product. Um, the last thing I wrote down, it, it feels obvious to say, but but ninth inning drama, extra innings, you know? No clean innings for late relievers. Pressure, mounting pressure. Because I feel like, you know, we've definitely talked about this on the podcast in the past and in October's, but the thing that really makes baseball, the thing that really makes me love this month more than anything is just like that feeling of like a low hum becoming a low roar, becoming a roar, becoming a hysterical roar of like, it's not, not even just the crowd noise, but just like in your head, you're like, oh my God, things are getting more intense. It's like a horror movie yeah. in a way. You know, baseball is horror. In sports form. Yeah, you just have a single drawn-out violin that's getting louder and louder in the background. Right, exactly. And I feel like so often, you know, we want baseball to be... We want baseball to be more like the NBA. We want it to be like drama, Shakespearean, like these these main characters having these tragic endings of the buzzer beater shots, stuff like that. And I feel like we're we're kidding ourselves. You know, we are actually just in like a horror suspense thriller, a psychological trauma, a psychological <laughs> thriller. And we have to stop kidding ourselves and thinking that it's going to be like all these other sports all of the time because it's not. It's not. Um, and maybe that leads us nicely into our conversation about 
our conversation about this year's this year's playoff formats and the discourse around it. But why don't we why don't we take a quick break, catch our breaths before that, and uh, after that we will delve into the discourse. Okay, Alex, you ready? Are you ready to address the takes? Everybody's got a take, man. Everybody's got a take about the playoff format. What is going on? This is this is how baseball is, <laughs> right? Does it feel too obvious to say that? Oh, I mean this this was inevitable, right? We were always it was always going to become a storyline because like how could it not right this is this is what we do right is you you whatever happens on the field you read into that in the way that suits your narrative and there's an easy like there's an easy like scapegoat here right and i think that like people are actually interested in talking about the mlb playoffs and whether or not they uh you know uh lower seated teams have it too easy whether higher seated teams don't don't have enough of an advantage. Sure. You're right that a, what I keep coming back to is that they should just let the Mets go to the World Series every year. I, mean, <laughs> yes, I exactly. keep coming back to that too. I you agree. Know? Yeah, yeah. It's like I wake up and I'm like, I don't want to think this, but I just do. You know, They should just put the Mets in the World Series every year. Exactly. The, the thought just worms its way into your head. Right. Um, I find myself thinking, wanting to ask people what they want the playoffs to be. Right. Like, why are you here? What is, what is the purpose of them? Is it to get the best teams t- together, the, the top eight or 10 or 12 best teams together, and have them play a little uh, tournament, and you crown a winner based off of that? Is it supposed to reward the best regular season team? Should we not have any playoffs and just do final like regular season ranking? Like, I, I mean, I saw Randy <laughs> tweeting like, "Wow, everybody suddenly loves the English Premier League format." <laughs> I mean, and like, I'm not suggesting. Like, any I didn't of these know we had so many <laughs> Premier League fans. Seriously, but like, I, that is part of the thing that we love about the playoffs, right? Is the is the chaos? Sure. I don't know. It doesn't feel new to me. Like the best team usually doesn't win. The best team never wins, dog. Right. Exactly. The best team doesn't win. That's why it's so shocking when there are dynasties where the best team consistently wins. Yeah. That's why we're still fucking seeing shit about the core four Yankees. That's why we can't escape them. I just think nothing has changed and people are acting like something changed between the something changed with the way that they restructured the playoffs. And it didn't change. It didn't change. We have had a period of slightly more parity. And before that, we had a period of slightly less parity. And that's okay. If the next 10 years, Every team that wins 100 games gets bounced in the division series. I'm willing to have a conversation about it. But until then, we're just completely overreacting to one year of a couple good teams getting eliminated before they expect it to be eliminated. And I genuinely do think it's because there's more parity at the top of the league because there is less parity league-wide because these teams at the bottom don't care. And so it's not that... If I'm being really real with you, if I'm being really real, there probably should not have been. Yeah, I'm being a truth teller right now. Yeah, you are. Yeah. yeah. Brace yourself, guys. There probably shouldn't be four teams that win 100 games. There probably shouldn't be four or five teams that sniff 100 games. 
that's probably not how a healthy functioning league should go. There's probably a reason that that doesn't happen very often. And it's because the other teams at the bottom are supposed to win a few more games. And so if the Mets won 96 games, would people be freaking out? No, it wouldn't be as clean of a talking point to say that two teams that won 100 games from the same division got eliminated before the championship series. It's all just about... To me, to me, this is all about... To me, this is all a function of just laziness, like intellectual laziness. Thinking that these teams were really that much better than their opponents in a five-game series is a fool's errand. Now, if your take is a reasonable take that you know, we play 162 games. Why not just make all three rounds of the playoffs seven-game series? Who's really going to be mad over the four extra days that it adds to the playoffs? I think that's a perfectly reasonable take to have. In fact, I have that take. I think that the Division Series, Championship Series, and World Series should be seven games. If we're going to play 162 games, what's two more games on each side of the bracket in that first round? Now, I don't, I don't even think the funniest part about that is I don't even think that would have saved some of these teams. No. The Braves and Dodgers got eliminated in four. Yeah. They would have both been losing the series three to one, which would have been tough for both of them to come back. Now, maybe one of them could have done it. The Dodgers have done that in the past. They came back from down three, one to Atlanta in 2020 to win their Mickey Mouse title. Someone tuning into the pod, the podcast for the first time thinks that I really think it was a know, Mickey Mouse title. <laughs> but I just, I can't believe people are just remembering what the MLB playoffs are. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's been a 5-7-7 seven, seven format for a while now. For a long time. For like a long time. For like most of our lives. Yeah. I agree with you. I think it's postseason brain. I think people don't like seeing their teams get eliminated and are grasping at straws for explanations I also think you're right like it's it's really too soon to make the call on this one and and ultimately don't we appreciate the randomness of the baseball playoffs isn't that what we were just talking about makes an ideal playoff game is its unpredictability right now now it's pain it's painful for sure as a as a fan of a team who is playing in the playoffs it's super hard to swallow but like it's a good baseball game. It's a good entertainment product. This is the thing. So so what do you want then? So do we want to play a 21-game series? Because you're asking for what it what is the most fair. So if we made it a 21-game series and half the pitchers on one team got hurt because they're playing 21 games against the other team, is that fair now? Like, it's going to be random. I think that that makes the baseball playoffs more interesting than the NBA playoffs. I think the NBA finals are really intriguing because it's the two best teams facing against each other. There is often a collection of stars. And I think that they are a little bit more unpredictable than people give them credit for. But basically at the beginning of every NBA season, we know like which four teams have a chance of making the finals. And that seems shitty. I would hate that if that was the case in baseball. If every single year it was like, all right, Yankees, Astros, Dodgers, Braves. No one else has a shot. I'd be like, wow, this is really shitty. Why would I watch 162 baseball games? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, don't think, I don't think people realize that that is what they're asking for. They're asking for just complete and total disengagement for the rest of the baseball year. And I don't, I don't think people really want to live in that world because no. baseball is too up and down and too painful 
demands too much of your time for the rest of the calendar to have that sense of inevitability at the end. I think that the hope is what drives people to October every year. And that's why it feels so bad when your team gets eliminated because you actually allowed yourself to have hope. But at least you had it. You know, you weren't you weren't a fan of the under 500 Detroit Pistons getting stomped by the Cleveland Cavaliers in the first round every year. Like that, that those teams had a 0% chance of winning. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I just don't understand what people think that they're asking for. And then the final piece of this is that the way that people are cherry picking this into their arguments about how, oh, they really just want it to be like fair for competitiveness in baseball. And they don't want these hundred win teams to not behave competitively anymore because they, it's the playoffs are just a crapshoot. Now, now it pays to just slash payroll and be like the guardians. Like, that is such <laughs> the lack of critical thinking there to think that that is going to be the reason that teams are going to act and in an anti-competitive way. Like I know that I've made a whole thread about this already, but like those same 10 or 15 teams every year are going to say, we're going to cut payroll because we don't think we're in a competitive window, regardless of whether the Dodgers win 120 games or whether the Dodgers win 93 games. That is not going to affect what Bob Nutting does. So to convince yourself that the Dodgers getting eliminated is somehow going to make the, te- the, the league less competitive, what the fuck are you talking about? The team that eliminated them is more competitive because they made it further. You know what I mean? Like the team that eliminated them, the San Diego Padres, they're acting pretty competitively. And had they not, had they not traded for all these players, they wouldn't have been there to eliminate the Dodgers in the first place. Right. It, it would have been the Brewers and the Dodgers would have steamrolled them probably. It is a little ironic that four out of the five teams left standing now obviously without knowing the outcome of the Yankees Guardian series four to the five of them are top 10 in payroll like yeah. these are for all the hand wringing that was done here included about disincentivizing competition in the playoffs and in the regular season whatever it is we are seeing what is likely the the, the collection of the best teams facing off against each other and like sometimes the ball bounces the wrong way, right? That shit sucks, man. Yeah, been there, but <laughs> like <laughs> the pain in your face. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, there's a case to be made, and we made it. And if you want to make this case all year, that's totally fine. But don't just make it based off two weeks in October. Like, there's a case to be made that restructuring the playoffs, adding more teams in, giving more teams an easier way to make it into October will lead them to behave less competitively. And I think that that has maybe played out in a, in a division like the AL central where it was not the most competitive division in baseball this year. But then at the same token, having those two extra spots means that you don't necessarily need to beat the Dodgers to make it into the playoffs. You don't necessarily need to beat the Mets or the Braves to make it into the playoffs if you're the Phillies. You can get in, and then you have a shot. And I think that there's a reason to believe that that might make ownership groups that are willing to compete and willing to spend more likely to compete and spend. But at the end of the day, these ownership groups are going to make the decision that they want to make for their bottom line, no matter what. Whether there's 10 teams in the playoffs, two teams in the playoffs, 16 teams in the playoffs, it doesn't matter. They're just going to do whatever they feel like because most of the time they don't really actually even care about baseball. <laughs> so we're all just kind of driving ourselves a little bit crazy over this. 
I, I know you've been itching to get this out of your system for a while. Well, it's just it's it's on it's like the dominant thing people are talking about. I know. I don't yeah. understand that. Like, why not just be excited that Reese Hoskins hit a cool home run? Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy the chaos. Like that's why we're all here, right? All right. Speaking of enjoying the chaos, it's time to talk about Blondie. It's time to talk about Taylor Swift. Um, she's putting out a new album this week, the end of this week, Friday at midnight. How are how are we going to cover this on the pod? Famously, last time she put out a new album, we did like music criticism <laughs> about it, kind of. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know we're not known for emergency podcasts necessarily. We've wow. only we've only had one an emergency or two. pod. That would be kind of sick, actually. That would be kind of sick, right? We have three emergency pods in our history, and one of them is because of a new Taylor Swift album. Yeah, CBA, Unionized Miners. Taylor, Taylor Swift, Swift. Midnight. That's kind of it, right? That's kind of the, That's whole, the yeah. whole the Holy Trinity. Yeah. Um, I don't even know how I'm going to process this, let alone how we're going to talk about it, because I don't know anything about it, neither does anyone else. Okay, here's where I fully share my opinions on the rollout of this album. Okay, yeah, do it. Weird. Just a weird okay. choice yeah. on all fronts. No uh-huh. singles yet to this point i guess she could release a single three days before the album is coming out yeah which wouldn't really accomplish that much uh the whole like tiktok videos with the roulette wheel and pulling out the names of the songs has been kind of strange and and kind of like jordan peele's us the way that she's like staring into the camera it's slightly unsettling the the concept of the it's a concept album right which we've barely even discussed much on this podcast the concept being all the songs that she was like up in the middle of the night and have kept her awake and that, you know, have, have been ruminating inside her for, for decades at this point, I feel like is not, it's easy to sell as a reason that you would want to listen to the album, but then you peel back one layer of that onion. It's like, this is, these are all the songs that never made it on any of your other albums. Then <laughs> all that being said, all my reservations, right? I think it's going to be killer. Mm hmm. What do you think is going to be the genre? This is our last time to get predictions out about the album before before it's out in the world and we do our next pod. What do you think the genre of the album is going to be like? Do you think it's going to be sort of how she's done her career in the past, which is like these incremental moves towards new genres uh, with the exception of Reputation, which I think was like a radical reimagining of what she could be as a genre artist? Or do you think she's just going to completely make a hard left turn? Do you think this is going to be like a dubstep album? <laughs> I don't think it's going to be a dubstep House album. music Taylor Swift album. I would want to hear it. Reggaeton Taylor Swift. I'm still waiting for the actual R&B Taylor, Taylor Swift. Swift rock album. I know. I mean, she's like Taylor Swift all ballads. <laughs> I mean, again, like if you go through her discography, you could make most of these albums up with <laughs> stuff she's already done. I'm just throwing them out there. <laughs> um, I'm Jack Antonoffing. I think it's Gonna be I feel like you no know, sold my Jack Antonoffing joke right there. Come on, despite the fact that you don't. Come on, I don't look like him. I'm just a white guy with glasses, right? That's yeah, that's it. So if you, if I put my glasses on you right now, I could say you look like Jack Antonoffing. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> I think that this is going to be a not necessarily a progression from folklore and Evermore, which obviously plumbed the depths of. I guess indie rock really mm-hmm. um yeah they did yeah i think she's taking it back we're oh. going like a like a little 60s 70s sound they had more more than one genre in the 60s and 70s what do you mean 
Well, I I think like a um uh like a sort of a sixties seventies like, like rock, sort of like, like centrist Beatles. like right exactly okay yeah um I think I'm not the only one who feels this way. I think there are. I mean, the Swifties are talking, man. Right? Like Swifties talk. Here's the thing. Yeah, you can say I, fucking anything. I know if you you're can. a Swiftie. I know. Well, <laughs> it's like if it's like uh, meteorologists, except for pop music. You know, you could just come out there and be like, "It's gonna rain," and then it doesn't rain for three weeks. Yeah. Taylor Swift is Taylor Swift is gonna release a new album, and it's gonna be a double album. It's gonna be a triple album. Know, She's yeah. gonna release a single tonight because she winked in one of her videos. I'm like, no, she probably just like had something in her eye. Like, yeah. It's, no, I know that's the thing is like Swifties are always reading the, the tea leaves. Yeah, she has cultivated this to yes. the point where like they're reading tea leaves that are not there, right? When she leaves hints, they're like usually actually relatively easy to right. pick out, right? Yeah, like she's, it's the wording she's is really not strange. Subtle. She's not she's a not subtle, subtle person, dog. No, exactly. And so they're like Sam Darnold, you know, like he took so many sacks early in his career. He's just he one time was mic'd up and said, I'm seeing ghosts out there. <laughs> That's how that's how Swifties are. Yeah, they're seeing ghosts. Right, they're seeing things that aren't even there. Um, some football fans are going to really appreciate that. Some that really metaphor. are. Yeah, I know um, you didn't get it. You just laughed nervously. That's right. what you do when you don't get my jokes. <laughs> like just now. Um, no, I mean I, I I buy into it because there have been some instruments that have been shown, like on the covers or uh, or in TikToks that were manufactured in the 60s or 70s. The mm. aesthetic of it all mm. is very sort of like... Do we like think that a sitar is going to make an appearance on this Taylor a Swift sitar. album? A sitar. A sitar. I couldn't say with confidence that it hasn't already appeared on the Taylor Swift album. That's fine. Musical Saw? Ooh. She going Neutral Milk Hotel on her asses? That'd be fun. That would yeah. be so sick. Musical Saw and Taylor Swift album is like the Venn diagram of my interests right there. <laughs> Do it for me, Taylor. I have to say, this is... Far more animated than we've been for this whole pod. This yeah. this really got our blood flowing. I had more notes down about this than anything else. Maybe that's an indictment of what we're doing as a podcast. We're just we're podcasting about the wrong thing, you know. Like Bob Costas trying to announce baseball games. He should just be doing like news segments at the Olympics, and he should just keep it to that. Yeah, or like philosophical musings. Do you just think Bob Costas like nihilism one on one Taylor Swift? Which Bob, which Taylor Swift album would Bob Costas like the most? Well, Evermore, I, probably, right? Probably Evermore. Big Coney Island guy. <laughs> you know, no, I think I think he's probably in the, his bag for like 1989. Honestly, I wow. think I think he's probably like the mainstream. I mean, do you think Bob Costas is listening to Taylor Deep Cuts? He did, and I I, I uh, noted this in the newsletter a couple weeks ago. He did once call her gutsy on a radio broadcast. It's kind so, of like a backhanded compliment. It is a backhanded compliment, right? I mean, I think this was probably around 1989, a reputation era, right? So, right. sure. You just go out and really say whatever you want at that point. And everybody was, yeah. you know? She swears she doesn't love the drama, but it loves her. The what? drama was Bob Costas calling her gutsy. <laughs> That's actually true. There's like a non-zero chance that like that actually factored into her <laughs> whole like anti-media personas. Like people like Bob Costas weighing in on Taylor Swift. Um, actually, what I just want to say before we end this podcast, okay? This podcast I, is nowhere near being done. I got I got, got so more much stuff. more time to talk about Taylor Swift. I got nothing else to do, dog. She's dropping a teaser trailer for this album. On Thursday, on Amazon Prime during Thursday Night Football. Thursday Night Football. 
What right. the fuck, bro? The MLB playoffs are on right now. This is what I'm saying, dog. We have given so much to Taylor Swift. Certainly, she's given a lot to us. But, like, this is a real know-your-audience situation for me. Like, you think these fuckboys watching the NFL want to see your teaser trailer? No! All these weirdo sad people watching the Major League Baseball playoffs want to see your teaser trailer. Mm-hmm. The Swifties are baseball fans. Baseball fans are Swifties. None of this NFL... Thursday night Amazon football BS. They want to hear Florida Georgia line. Like they don't want Taylor Swift. They don't want real music. They want garbage. Wow. <laughs> you so making a joke for the football fans in one breath and then bodying them the next. I'm like John Heyman, dog. I give it, I take it. Exactly. Away. <laughs> no one can predict where you're gonna go next. I okay. I don't think this is gonna be the album that she does it. But I want her to make like a traditional country album before she's done. Because mm-hmm. she was like always, she was, I think her early music obviously is very country. If you go back and listen to it, it seems country, particularly in comparison to where her career went. Like if you listen to Reputation and Taylor Swift, the self-titled album back to back, you'd be like, what the fuck? This is insane. But she's never really made like a, true like sad country album like 12 cowboy like me's that's what i want before she's done <laughs> i want late period life's really beating her down country from taylor swift and it's not going to be this album because of the track list just because of the track list you can tell that that's not what this album is going to be vigilante shit actually weirdly enough that's one of the the songs that i feel like could absolutely be a country song oh, a little okay. vigilante so, like outlaw oh, you're going like wild west outlaw kind right. of vibe like yeah. no body no crime kind of energy right no i want like taylor acoustic guitar and depression <laughs> i want her to have a perfectly happy life jesus christ <laughs> i just want her to make music for me when i'm sad <laughs> bobby said no artists should suffer a little bit just for like their a little, art a yeah. little yeah i think that's true Bro, your favorite band of all time is Bright Eyes. <laughs> you wanted to lecture me about saying artists should suffer for their art. Come on. I saw you at the Phoebe Bridgers concert. Yeah, yeah. You were letting it rip. Yeah, that's true. Giving me COVID. Yeah. Oh, wow. All Not right. you. Just everybody <laughs> in the just crowd just screaming, giving me COVID. I would take a, a, a Taylor Swift country album. Like, actually. Yeah. Right? And I, I mean, I do think that, like, she's gotten to the closest country she's going to. But if she was going to, like, pull up with, like, Miranda Lambert, mm-hmm. you know? I think this album, I, I, I'm i with you. I think it's going to be, like, more poppy. Mm-hmm. But then that doesn't really track with what she said about the themes of the album. Maybe it'll be, like, sad pop, like Robin. I mean, yeah, true. I mean, I... I but, sad power pop. But I'm I feel it. like she's going to lean into, like, the sort of, like, sultry smoky nature mm. right that's like the vibe she's giving is almost like like 70s speakeasy okay you know yeah. like that's where my head is at on are you on the sliding scale from like one to ten on acoustic versus electric how are you imagining this album to sound in your head when you describe it that way genre wise i guess i'm if 10 is like megadeth when you say <laughs> well i guess i want to clarify when you say, one is like <laughs> But Bright Eyes <laughs> Symphony Orchestra. Um, when you say when you say acoustic versus electric, do you mean like like broadly speaking, like is it going to be more electronic sounds versus like natural acoustic tones, or do you mean like electric guitar versus acoustic guitar? 
Both. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I I think it's going to be like 70-30 in favor of acoustic tones. Okay. Like real instruments, string instruments. Yeah. Real drums. Like not again, 808s, it's, not electric guitar, not synths. Right. right well, I, right. Probably not. But like, you know. I feel like reputation is her, I would describe that as her most. Yeah, that's like the 10 electric. on the scale. Yeah, exactly. And Folklore and Evermore are probably the most acoustic. Although her early stuff is very country, very traditional. Yeah. Two guitars, drums, bass. I think it's going to build off of the techniques that she used on Folklore and Evermore without like trying to replicate that sound. (laughs) Flute. Naming instruments now. (laughs) This is what you get when we talk about music for too long. I know. Okay. All right. I'm into it. I'm into this fake Taylor Swift album that we've cooked up here. <laughs> I know. It sounds really good. I just want to say I'm really excited. I just want to say I'm really excited for everybody who's going to listen to it in the coming week. And I'm really excited to share in this moment with people in the Tipping Pitches Blondie Slack and the Tipping Pitches Tunes Slack. If you would like to be a part of the Tipping Pitches Slack discussion about Taylor Swift or anything, you can. By going to patreon.com slash tipping pitches and signing up. Thank you to the five members of the Alex Rodriguez VIP Club tier that we will shout out this week. Those five members are Kara, Austin, Cameron, Jose, and Michael. Alex, anything else to leave the people with this week? Do you want to do like a whole Taylor Swift, like two hour long bonus episode that we just dropped for Patreon? Music thoughts with Bobby and Alex. I mean, that would be really easy to do, right? <laughs> well, I just talk about the, the My Chemical Romance concert that I went to last Tuesday. Oh, so just we're not even limiting to Taylor anymore. I mean, we're the first rock. two hours can be about Taylor, but anything that comes after that is just, <laughs> just, just fair game. Fair game, yeah. Bro, My Chemical Romance. Yeah, man. Holy hell. Yeah. They could put on a show. Yeah. I don't know if I've actually fully told this story on the pod, but the reason that I was in Los Angeles last, last week was because... uh. Me and my partner, Phoebe, had bought tickets for My Chemical Romance in 2019 in Los Angeles at the Forum. And the the show was supposed to happen in October of 2020. It got delayed two full calendar years because of COVID. We moved out of Los Angeles, so we had to then fly back to LA for the concert. But the reason that it was so important to me is because, number one, I'm a huge My Chemical Romance fan. But number two... I'd never actually gotten to see them live before. I'd seen all my favorite, other favorite bands live growing up. I saw Taking Back Sunday a few times. I saw Paramore a bunch of times. But I never got to see My Chemical Romance because they broke up when I was... They broke up and stopped touring like pretty early on when I was in high school. And my mom was always like, it's not the right, it's not the right place for a middle schooler to be. She used to say that to me all the time. My sister was five years um, old. A than My Chemical Romance show? Yes. My sister was always going to their shows and she was going to, you know, Bamboozle and she was doing all these shows that My Chemical Romance was playing. But she was five years older than me, so so her and her friends were in high school. And I was like, Mom, you let me go to, like, Breaking Benjamin concert when I was in fifth grade that that three days Grace opened up for. But I can't go see My Chemical Romance. Why? Because of the goths? Because I can't go see the goths? Right, because of the eyeliner, man. Literally. Literally. No, she said it was because Gerard cursed too much. On stage. And I was like, Mom, come on. Mom, come on. We have the internet here. But all that being said, I finally got to go see them. So my mother and I's relationship is, is fully repaired. That was never actually hard. But we're, we're really in a good spot now that I was able to go see them. And 
the concert was everything I could have could have ever imagined it to be. The fact that they sound this good ten years later, as like straight up like semi old adults, yeah, is just a blessing. Music, man, it's crazy looking back at the the bands I listened to in like elementary or middle or high school, like looking at them and being like, you would like qualify for social security soon. <laughs> you know, like Blink One Eighty Two just announced yeah. that they're like getting back together they're looking know? old old you yeah. know i'll say taking back sunday opened up for my chemical romance and i had a great time because i love taking back sunday right they close with make damn sure of course but i would say that they're like in their jamie moyer era you know they're not just getting it up <laughs> getting up there and just lobbing it over the plate <laughs> not like they have a little you know guile left in them you know they can still put a little a little sauce on it if they need to. They can hit the outside corner every mm-hmm. once in a while, but they certainly can't just blow it by you up in the zone anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Adam Lazara did his little, you know, mic swing, all that stuff. Right. But he wasn't like, when I saw them in, in 2010, he was like climbing up on the amps. Like he was doing crazy shit. Like he was hanging upside down singing. Yeah. Like he was he was doing a lot. They're, they're, they're in more of their sort of like stand and sway era. Right. <laughs> exactly. As are most of their fans, honestly. <laughs> Most of their fans who were not at this show, they, it was not a Taking Back not Sunday a, crowd. That's so interesting to me because I feel like they're in the same scene. Right? They are in the same scene. And like they're big enough that like even if you're a fan of one over the other, like you're familiar enough with the other band to like be able to vibe. You would think. But it was just me screaming the lyrics to what's it feel like to be a ghost. And everyone else was kind of just like, this guy knows this band. <laughs> that's not true. There were some people who were into them, but you know. Not quite as many people as we're singing along with with uh, Welcome to the Black Parade. That's True. for sure. Yeah, this has been my music podcast. <laughs> I don't even I don't even know how long we've been recording for at this point. Hour and a half. Okay, we could have done worse. Honestly, we got a lot. Are you telling me that if we actually managed to record the baseball portion of our podcast in an hour each week, we could we can just, just talk, talk about music, music the last half hour? This is really just a litmus test for when we launch our music podcast. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. I don't know exactly when we'll be back, whether we'll be back on our regular Monday morning schedule or not. Kind of depends on how these series shake out. Best of luck to our friends listening who are Yankees fans. Best of luck listening. Best of luck to our friends listening who are Guardians fans. We will talk to you next week. Oh, there we go, camera. I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. Tipping pitches. So we'll see you next week. See ya!